All week we've been hearing about people from Georgia, like Vicki, whose unsung contributions to the Apollo 11 mission 50 years ago made it happen. Well, Ed Dwight was very much in the public eye. The Kennedy administration was bent on winning the space race and integrating the South. Kennedy chose Dwight, a handsome, charismatic, skilled Air Force officer, to be the first African-American astronaut. Photos of Dwight blanketed black newspapers of the time. Negro astronaut aims for the moon, read the New York Times headline. He had all the right stuff, but ultimately was not chosen. Dwight is now 85, an engineer, entrepreneur, and a sculptor with a powerful story to tell. He's going to share it tomorrow at the Fernbank Science Center in Atlanta, but happy to speak with him first. Welcome, Ed Dwight. Thank you very much. I appreciate all those words there. Goodness. Well, you've done so much. You enlisted in the Air Force in 1953, an aggressive fighter pilot, an Air Force officer chosen from this list of Negro pilots, quote unquote, sent to the White House. And the president chose you. So there you are out, you know, doing press tours, speaking in front of groups all over the world, making highlights during the civil rights movement. What did it feel like to be held up as this sign of hope or progress to the black community? I went to white schools all the way through. I didn't have any idea uh, about this black struggle. I mean, you know, I went into that. I was living in a bubble. I joined the Air Force and everywhere I went, I was the only black officer or the black pilot there. I was rather ill-prepared for because I'm, you know, kind of a little short, quiet guy that worked very hard. And that was my, uh, that was my M.O. You know, if you want something done, give it to Dwight. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That, that's where I was all the way through the, the military. It was always, I was always solving problems. And, and so they had to deal with the package they got. Well, okay, so I have to stop you for a minute, because you write in your memoir, Soaring on the Mm -hmm. Wings of a Dream, about the personality of fighter pilots, you know, that they're superhuman Mm -hmm. confidence, uh, type A personalities, independent, aggressive, daring, risk-oriented, and you add, usually arrogant um, people, I will say that for the the purposes. So, So you must have had that. No, I did not, and that's what the issue was. I wasn't any of that. Uh-huh, okay. Uh, and so, therefore, I'm sitting there noticing. I'm not a dumb guy, and I'm sitting there noticing just what was happening to me. So my challenge was, uh, you know, can I grow into this ar- arrogant guy that swaggers and does all that stuff? But, you know, short guys don't swagger. Uh, <laughs> you know, tall guys swagger, you know. And, and so I have never seen a short guy that walks slow and swaggered. They always walk a little faster. And they talk a little faster because there's a lot of things that they have to, in, in, in their brains, have to make up for. Well, there are a lot of other exceptions there for you. I mean, because of the political Mm -hmm. power at the time, many space program facilities were Mm -hmm. located in the South, Texas, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama. I've read accounts of other African-Americans working inside of these. They were integrated workplaces, but everything was different outside of the gates. So, you know, how were you treated inside of the training program by your peers? And, And how was that different in public? The word was out before I ever got down there because if see the president just overrode everybody's either judgment or advice or counsel and even Congress was upset about the, the idea of integrating were, these they, facilities because there were thousands of people working there. You know the problem is is you know it's one thing to be a worker bee and it's another thing to be a star. Mm. And so there were there were black people working in and around and stuff like that, but. They didn't expect to exceed the stardom. That's why this whole hidden figures thing was hidden. Well, uh, so that wasn't the only place that you trained. You did a lot of training 
an aerospace research pilot school. This mm-hmm. was at Edwards Air Force Base in right, California, right, right, headed by right. Chuck Yeager. Uh-huh. Was it different there? They were given instructions before I got there uh, to, 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 you know, to set the stage for you. I got there a few days later than some of the other people. A lot of kids went down, young guys went down there early so they could get acclimated. Well, I didn't do that. I didn't know about being acclimated. I had never been in research and development. Research and development is totally different. So they called all the people together, even the students, which would be my fellow students, and instructed them not to associate with me, not to talk to me, not to drink with me, don't invite me to any of their parties. I would go crazy psychologically, and I'd be gone in six months. Mm. Yeah, and and, and I should add for the audiences, this is not just your recollection. There was a White House report, an investigation mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. that, uh, that that said that Yeager right. specifically right. pulled all the instructors into a room and ordered them not to speak with you. But it didn't bother me. Uh, you know, I was it there. It didn't? To, uh, no. The whole issue is my reason for being there. And that, that has to do with my personality. Uh, I, I was given a task by, by the President of the United States, and I went about completing that task. And when the obstacles were set up, I just walked around them or over them and kept going. What were, so, what were your interactions with Jaeger like, though? I mean, this man who instructed everybody not to socialize with you. He would call me into his room. Uh, in his office, and he would ask me to quit. He says, you know, you're inadequate, uh, you don't know what you're doing, uh, and 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 every now and then he'd pull out a list that he kept in his chest pocket, and he had written down all these names on it. And, I, and he would unfold that thing, and he said, there's 150 white boys that are more qualified than you to be here, so why don't you give up your slot and give it to one of these white guys? And they threatened that uh, they were going to send me up in space and leave me up there. Oh my uh, it was just a whole range of things. His justification for telling me that Kennedy wanted to kill me was that see Kennedy had already done what he needed to do, appoint me. That's all that politically needed to happen. If I didn't make it, that's too bad. Uh, but he would have satisfied the black community by just appointing me. So therefore, I was... Uh, uh, no longer of use to Kennedy, so he was going to kill me. Well, after President Kennedy was assassinated in 1963, his successor, President Lyndon Johnson, chose mm-hmm. another African-American pilot as mm-hmm. his candidate to become the first mm-hmm. black astronaut. Did you mm-hmm. just say, forget it, I'm, I'm out? How did that change your experience? What they did is, it says, Captain Wright, you are going into space, period. Don't worry about it, you are going into space, but you've got to help us, Okay. Now, here's what the president wants. He wants to select his own uh, uh, black astronaut. That's his. But we want you to help find him. And to help us, we want to know everything that happened to you from the time you got that letter inviting you to do this, uh, everything, all the setbacks, all the racial slights and the name calling. And we want it written down on a piece of paper so the president, when he finds his own guy, he'll make sure that he's he's got that ground covered. Huh. And that was the deal. And so what we want you to do, you need to stand down for three years. At the end of that three years, we'll get our guy up, and then we'll integrate you back into You're going into space. There's absolutely no pro, uh, no question about that. But you got to work with us to do this. And they, and they asked me if I had one of these globes that spin around. 
I said, no. He said, well, you go find one of those globes that's been around. Close your eyes and put your finger in whatever your finger lands. That's where we're going to send you. <laughs> and, and you will get a check every month. No problem. Stop making speeches. And that's the deal. Did, and that's the deal I got. Did you do it? Where did you land with your finger on the globe? No, I, I didn't. I didn't do that. I thought that was kind of a preposterous notion. But they were complaining about my speech making. I was not a militant guy, but I was getting on the edge of of, of getting a little militant in my speeches because I was really in demand. And, and people were still writing articles about all this stuff. I was on the Huntley Brinkley every day for one week uh, uh, because Ebony Magazine published uh, articles saying that I accused President Johnson of being a racist. And that, that was a catalyst for my them bringing me to Washington and I publicly denied it, of course. So at the end of the day, I, I chose a base that didn't have a newspaper, Holloman Air Base in, the, in New Mexico, top secret base there, so I wouldn't be bothered by the press. And, and my kids are being harassed at school. All kind of things were going on. Uh, so I went to Holloman Air Force Base out, out in the desert and, and just had a good time. And so they chose Bob Lawrence in my place, and uh, they took my advice. Well, Ed Dwight, you, you did... Ultimately, you retired from the Air Force in 1966, mm -hmm. took a position at IBM. You were an aviation mm -hmm. consultant, founded a real estate right. development firm. You right. were, however, living in Denver and working for IBM when Apollo 11 launched. And, of course, the whole world was watching this remarkable mm -hmm. feat. What did that feel like for you? I was excited as America was. And, and, and all the stuff that they had to do, it just all made sense to me at the time. Well, you've now been a sculptor for a few decades with major commissions, huge bronze pieces installed mm -hmm. all over the world. A lot of mm -hmm. your images, the, the figures that you do, heroes, activists, mm -hmm. artists, uh, especially, mm -hmm. you know, African-American. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people would look to you and think you are one of those, even if you didn't get to the moon. What would you say to that? You know, people don't walk around thinking about space or anybody associated with it, but they do think about fame. Uh, and they do think about a kind, and they don't they don't discern or distinguish where that fame comes from, you know, whether you're a Kanye West or a Kim Kardashian or or an astronaut. And one of the things that bothers me, and I have to say this on the air, is that Gowan Bluford was the first uh, black astronaut to go into space. And I think to myself, you know, if what if that had been me? And if you ask anybody in the universe. Who was the first black astronaut that went into space? Nobody could tell you. Hmm. Nobody. That's right. And so I don't uh, think a lot of people know his name. Right, and you know, and and I know that. But what's fascinating is they know my name. <laughs> you know, they know my name all over the place because of my, my my mail and my email approve it and the Facebook and everything else. You know, after I left the program, that kind of it's subsided in everybody's memory base. And then all of a sudden, I come back as an artist on the scene as an artist, and they go, "Wait a minute, there's, there's something wrong with this picture." You know, he was either an astronaut to be or an artist uh, to be. Now the, he couldn't do both. So therefore, if he was good as a, enough to be an astronaut guy, he's got to be a lousy artist because you know, because uh, those things don't fit together. Well. We happen to know from <laughs> photographs that you sit there in a studio anyway and make things. <laughs> Ed Dwight, I want to thank you so much for your time. 
Well, thank you guys for caring, okay? Well, Ed Dwight is a name that we're remembering today, first African-American candidate to become an astronaut. He's an engineer, he's an entrepreneur, and a bona fide sculptor. He will speak tomorrow at Fernbank Science Center in Atlanta. You can also see more of his story on PBS's Chasing the Moon documentary. Details at our website, gpbnews.org forward slash moon. That's where you can find all of our related stories and join the conversation on social media by using the hashtag GPB to the moon. Among the sculptors that Ed has made, Louis Armstrong. And we will leave you with his version of Fly Me to the Moon. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us.